Good morning, Sunshine. How's everybody today? Wonderful. How are you, Dr. Pilla? <laughs> Fantastic. As once again, we're joining us. Everybody's joining us for three plastic surgeons and a microphone. It's where it's at. I'm where it's at right now in San Diego. I'm Dr. Sal Pacella from La Jolla, California. My Instagram handle is at San Diego Plastic Surgeon. I'm joined, of course, by my good friends and colleagues, Dr. Sam Jajurikar from Dallas, Texas, whose Instagram handle is at Sam Jajurikar. And, of course, Dr. Sam Reeve from Paramus, New Jersey, who's at Bergen Cosmetic. How are you gents today? Doing well? Doing awesome. Doing so well. All right, great. We we are on uh, schedule today. We just had a uh, changeover, spring forward, fall back. So we're going to be airing the show next week. But everybody's doing well, bright eyed and bushy tailed, and that's yeah. going to come come to an end this afternoon at about four o'clock when we're all ready to go to sleep, huh? With the- I feel like I feel like we're a little bit in a time machine too, because when this airs next week, the presidential election will be over. And Ooh, undoubtedly, wow. yeah, undoubtedly, there's going to be some form of chaos that has ensued in our nation. And right now, we're naive to what it actually is. So here we are, blissfully unaware of the events that are going to happen over the next week. Yeah, we're like Marty McFly going back to the future. <laughs> it's going to be a gigawatts. Except I'm not going to try to have, I'm not going to try to be fending off advances for my mother to have intercourse with me. So that's... <laughs> I always thought that was what? I always thought that was the strangest movie of all time. What if you think about it, who comes up with this plot? And I'm stealing this by the way from John Mullaney, the if you've ever seen his stand-up bit where he talks about how strange of a bit Back to the Future is, where he's actually saying oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. that we're basically like, who comes up with this idea? We're gonna take this high school kid, we're gonna put him in a time machine, we're gonna make his best friend a nuclear physicist of unknown age, never explain that relationship of any kind. Then we're going to send him back in time so we can date his mother, try to fend off sexual advances from his mother, and basically stop her attempted rape. Yeah, that's going to make a great movie. <laughs> well, when you put it that way, oh my God. I highly encourage you to watch the John Mulaney bit. It is astounding. It's almost, it's almost the same concept as the Terminator, right? Go back in time. The original Terminator was like that, too. That's a good segue uh, into our next topic, which is Mommy Makeover. Fantastic. Fantastic, Dr. Jujurikar. I'm going to hand it over to you in a second for the case, but let's just do our disclaimer here. This show is not a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. The show is for informational purposes only. Treatment and results may vary based upon the circumstances, situation, and medical judgment after appropriate discussion. Always seek the advice of your surgeon or other qualified health provider with any questions you may have regarding medical care. Never disregard professional medical advice or delay seeking advice because of something in the show. So let's get going here. We're going to talk about mommy makeover. Fantastic topic. Wonderful. Back to the future. (laughs) Marty McFly would approve of this uh, topic today. Well, perfect. That, and that's all we can hope for. Yes, as we have uh, alluded to, today's topic is Mommy Makeover, and it's a conglomeration of multiple previous episodes that we've done before. I'm going to imagine that Dr. Pacella in San Diego, Dr. Ree in New Jersey, um, get calls from prospective patients every day where they want to know what the cost is for a Mommy Makeover, what the recovery is for a Mommy Makeover. But as we'll see, much everyone's experience with having kids is different so is the changes that actually happen to the body with pregnancy. And if you think about how 
every woman that's out there with pregnancy, some of them gain 20 pounds, some of them gain 100 pounds, some of them breastfeed, some of them don't breastfeed, some of them have pre-existing droopiness to their breasts, some of them are in perfect physical. Women are different, and thus the changes that happen to the female body changes so much from patient to patient. And so what is a mommy makeover? It's a lot of different things, and it's not a cookie-cutter formulation to all patients. So <clears throat> if you think about it, some women, they lose volume when they breastfeed. Other women get droopy. Some women lose volume and get droopy. So we could see the breast augmentation or a breast lift or a combination thereof is needed in many patients. Some patients actually gain breast tissue with, with pregnancy. And so they need to have a lift. They need to have a reduction. I think the one operation that's relatively constant across virtually all uh, mommy makeovers is the need for a tummy tuck. We've done a previous episode on tummy tuck, but just to refresh our viewers, with the changes in pregnancy, changes changes to the abdominal wall muscles, changes to the skin where you have loss of skin elasticity, you can get extra fat of the abdominal wall and the flanks. In addition, you can get fat of the back, the thighs, the arms the neck. There's a lot of different places where people get fat and, and want to get liposuction as part of a mommy makeover. In my practice, I'll see a lot of patients actually complain that they get deflation of the buttocks and buttock augmentation can be part of it. It's a little complicated. I have found to do a fat transfer to the buttock and a tummy tuck from a positioning standpoint, but there are usually ways around that. And then more and more, we're seeing patients, and I don't do these procedures, labiaplasty and vaginoplasty, but a lot of times we'll get a cosmetic gynecologist involved where you'll actually see changes to the, to the female genitalia. If you think about it, you get expansion of the abdominal wall and the pelvic floor. And so changes um, to both the vagina and the labia are very common. So we have found that in this... Dr. J, can I ask you a quick question here? Yeah, so, of course. Okay, in general, would it be correct to say that when patients are asking for a mommy makeover, that's usually a combination of a breast procedure and some other type of body procedure, correct? That's my interpretation of it. I'm yeah. curious if you agree with that as well. How I would say so. Yeah. Dr. Dr. Reed. Reed? Yeah, I think those are the areas that are changed most by pregnancy and, and going through pregnancy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and one, one common question I always get from moms in San Diego is, I'm considering getting pregnant. And would it be a good idea for me to do liposuction now before I get pregnant so my skin is tight and maybe I won't need a tummy tuck afterwards? What, how would you answer that? What would you tell them? I would tell them, and I won't speak for Dr. Ree, but my general thought process is that the changes that happen during, during pregnancy are severe and unpredictable across the board. But the majority of women who have two or more children that I see almost always need a tummy tuck to get to their pre-pregnancy abdominal wall. I'd probably guess that probably 75% that have one or one child or more probably need to have a tummy tuck. So I wouldn't find that doing liposuction in and of itself is going to have any protective effect whatsoever. What do you guys think about that? I get even, I think a, a related question I get more of is maybe someone who's had one child and is thinking about getting body contouring or some other breast lift type procedure. And I if they're still in the family planning stage, I will tell them this is something you have to take into consideration that if you have a kid in the next year or two, results may, may change. And that's something that families and patients have to take into consideration. I, I would agree. And I think there, there's no cosmetic surgery or plastic surgery that you can perform in the abdomen that's going to prevent the changes of pregnancy, I think. And in fact, I, I sometimes see patients who have had tummy tucks 
years ago that incidentally decide or get pregnant for for some reason. And maybe it's a surprise, maybe it's a plan, etc. And the act of tightening the abdominal muscles won't prevent the uterus and the baby from expanding. Do you agree or I 100% agree with that. I have had probably at least 20 patients who have done tummy tucks on that have subsequently gotten pregnant. And across the board, when they come back for the revision tummy tuck, they relay a story where the first four or five months, they don't look like they're particularly pregnant. And then very suddenly, and usually there's some pain associated with it as well, they look Mm very pregnant and that's disruption of the repair that we've done to the muscle and yeah i don't think i think that the baby develops just fine but i think they're there that the baby is a stronger unyielding force on the abdominal wall that always wins and the other thing i think is really important is the the destruction of the abdominal wall that we see as you mentioned and alluded to it's very unpredictable i i can see i see tiny fit women that do yoga, do planks, are in incredible shape, that after pregnancy, their abdomen is just completely destroyed. I see other gals who are in an equal amount of shape that look just totally fine afterwards. It's just very unpredictable what children can do for us. They, they ruin our bodies and sacrifice our dreams, right? <laughs> They're the best thing and the worst thing that can happen to us, for sure. <laughs> I completely agree. Uh, Dr. Ree, anything you want to add to that before I move on to the case? No, that's a very sad thought to uh, continue with. Let's, let's keep going. Well, as as the father of three, as the father of three children, I wish I could say that I disagreed with Dr. Pacella, but I cannot. I actually have up to two cases we can show, or we'll just show one, kind of depending on time here. But this case is a patient that I met over the pandemic, operated on over the pandemic, and is a few months out which is a sign of how long the pandemic's been going on. But she's a woman in her late 30s who's a mother of four children, stated with, with certainty that she was done having children. As you'll see from the pictures, she ha- she meets some of the classical criteria for potentially needing a breast lift, but really didn't want a breast lift, was okay accepting additional volume if I thought that was, that was an alternative. And I'm going to be curious to get your guys' thoughts on this as we, as we progress. And then she really wanted her not only her tummy to be flat, but she wanted to have a curvier shape to her body. So here are her preoperative pictures. And would one of you guys like to chime in with what you think is going on here and what your approach to this would be? Sure. Dr. Ree, why don't you go ahead? Okay. She certainly does look like the mother of four looking at her abdomen. She's She has a very uh, protuberant abdomen. You can see the skin excess. You can see uh, stretch marks and that loss of abdominal wall integrity. I know what you're talking about in terms of the breast sagging and ptosis. I think I would give her a long talk about what her goals were in terms of her breast appearance. If I agree with you, if she really wanted to go larger with her volume size, I might consider trying just an aug, an augmentation with implant only, with the caveat that maybe she might need a lift in the future. Otherwise, if she didn't really want to change her breast volume much at all, then she really would need a breast lift. She otherwise is relatively thin in proportion and doesn't, she's not particularly obese in any way. And it's really that midsection that you see indicative of pregnancy changes that probably is one of the biggest uh, changes for her from pre-pregnancy to post-pregnancy. 
Yeah, I agree. And I'm going to first start at the top here. So looking at her breasts, I, I think your photographs here have this patient with her arms elevated. And I think that artificially can raise the breast position up. So I'm just imagining what her what her arms would what, what it would look like if her arms were down. And I imagine that the nipple and breast position would be down a little bit. So I think the important thing for my discussion with her is talking about size. And that determines whether or not I'm going to do just a simple mastopexy or, or breast lift versus a lift with an implant. In my mind, not really being able to see where the nipple position is, it, it looks to me like she's got a little bit of ptosis and pseudotosis. And in my experience with just an AUG, oftentimes a year or two, five years later, we can get that little bit of waterfall deformity to the breast, which is very unesthetic. The implant sometimes rides up a little bit high and the whole breast tissue sort of falls off. So I'd like to, I'd like to stop that from happening. So I think I'd definitely offer a lift. In looking at her abdomen, I think she's just a perfect candidate for an abdominoplasty, traditional rectus plication or tightening of the muscle abdominoplasty. It also looks to me, uh, does she have a little bit of an umbilical hernia here? Tiny one, yeah, for sure. Yeah, yeah. So, gents, in New Jersey and Dallas, what's your standard with the umbilical hernia that you find preoperatively and one you find incidentally? Do you work with a general surgeon? What's your, do you repair that yourself? What are your thoughts on that? In New Jersey, at most of the hospitals, we are not, if you're not double boarded in both general surgery and plastic surgery, you cannot do umbilical hernia repair on your own. However, if it's in conjunction with a body contouring procedure such as an abdominoplasty or paniculectomy, then we can do the umbilical repair. And so I usually do not involve a, a general surgeon unless there's some complication or something very large. And I'll generally handle it myself. Yeah, I similar philosophically to what Dr. Rhea is saying. I think if it's a revision hernia or if it's a particularly large hernia, I'm very quick to get a hernia expert, a general surgeon who specializes in hernia repair and vault. Most of, in a previous um, episode when we talked about tummy tuck, Dr. Pacello, you use an analogy that you describe with your patients where you describe that not only are the muscles separating, but everything is just stretching for the abdominal wall. So that a lot of times what you'll see, and I, and I know you guys will agree with this, you see the tiny fascial attachments between the, the, the rectus muscles just get a little tear in it. And the repair of it is very straightforward to do. And then when you do the muscle tightening, which um, is going to be obviously very important for this tummy tuck to make sure that her pregnant body habitus goes away, you have a double repair of your hernia at the same time. And so I feel really comfortable for one like this, just taking care of it while we're there. Yeah, I do the same. I, my sort of rule of thumb is if I encounter one incidentally during a tummy tuck, I'll just go ahead and fix it. But if it's a big issue where, say, even the general surgeon had sent the patient to me with an umbilical hernia, she's interested in doing an abdominoplasty at the same time, I'll usually work as a team with the general surgeons. Honestly, it, I have a handful of general surgeons I have an excellent relationship with. We're at the same facility. It's pretty easy for them to just pop in for 10 minutes and throw a couple sutures in and every everybody's worth everybody's great yeah you know i want to go back uh, and follow up on something that you guys were talking about dr pacello you use terms like ptosis pseudotosis waterfall deformity which are all very specific plastic surgery terms that we all toss around amongst each other but how would you explain to the patient 
who really doesn't want to have scars associated with the breast lift, right. how you would size your implants, the thought processes that are going on in your head that would allow you to get an aesthetic result. Cause this, and you're very accurate in your assessment of these pictures. Unfortunately, I did not put the dedicated breast views on here, but she's got grade two ptosis with her arms down, which to our viewers means that the nipple position is somewhere between the ideal position in the center of the breast and the very bottom of the breast. And so in my mind, when someone is grade two ptosis, it is, you can sometimes get away with not doing a breast lift if you use an appropriately sized implant. And sometimes you can't, how would you explain right. to the patient what her choices are? And when you, when you say appropriate size implant, you mean Everything else in Texas and Dallas, big. All joking aside, the way I explain it to patients is, look, if you think about what happened during pregnancy, your breasts enlarged, the skin stretched along with it, then the breast tissue involuted, but the skin remained. So your choices are to fill up the skin that you have or to pick an implant size that's a little bit smaller and tighten the skin around it. I don't think that's a unique Texas phenomena, but I'm going to regret right. having right. I, it when I show you the post-op result. <laughs> I, I explained the same process, which is, so you mentioned we were, you, you already described what ptosis is. Pseudotosis is very similar. However, it's a phenomenon where the nipple is in appropriate position, but the breast looks very droopy because the distance from the nipple to the fold has increased over time. And that's caused by the same phenomenon, a reduction in breast volume, but having the skin not retract back. So I agree. Many times you can get by with just a simple large size implant to correct that. But many times, at least in San Diego, most patients are looking for a little bit more of an athletic, a little bit more natural and non-augmented appearance. <clears throat> and it would be rare for me to be able to achieve that without using some sort of lift. Yeah. Dr. Rhea, I have another question for you. One of the things that this patient was really hoping to achieve with this operation was to look curvier with her surgery. How would you address that? Would you address that specifically? Are there things that you might add to the tummy tuck and the breast surgery to try to help her achieve that? A lot of patients do want curves, like an hourglass figure, or uh, sometimes they lose that with pregnancy, as you alluded to before. Certainly some back liposuction might help her achieve more of an hourglass figure. Her On the lateral, her glute contour looks projected, but her hips are not maybe so full. And in my experience, a lot of patients who look like your patient will want her hip dips filled. Yep. And so I think it would be reasonable to do fat transfer to the hips to increase her contour in that area if that's what she was looking for. Great. Let's, let's go up and move on to her post-operative results, and I'll talk to you what I did. Turns out I did a tummy tuck with extensive muscle tightening. Just actually alluded to, I did what everyone now on, the, on Instagram calls lipo360, but it's basically circumferential liposuction of the trunk, the back, the flanks, the abdomen. I did fat grafting to the hips to give her that uh, curvier body shape, just like Dr. Ree was saying. And then I gave her Texas size implants, as, <laughs> as uh, Dr. Pacella in San Diego was alluding to. I've used 545cc high-profile implants. Ooh. And here's how we look. These are about, I don't know, two months post-op. I just saw her um, last month in the office. And so the most recent photos we have on her. Are those shaped implants or just uh, co high? A cohesive round. 
<laughs> high cohesive rounds. I think when you look at the variety of views, I think from the front, you definitely see that curvier frame with the hip, the fat crafting to the hip dips. I think from the side view, you can see the effect of muscle tightening. If you ask me what's the most important part of this entire case, it's going to be tightening of her rectus abdominis muscles to give her a flatter contour. She still has some swelling because she's, again, she's still relatively early in the post-operative process. She's about two months out. This is what a mommy makeover can do. I'm curious what, other than your scathing critique on the size of implants, <laughs> I, I, uh, I chose. Uh, curious what you guys think about this. No, I, I think this looks phenomenal. I, I joke and I, I say that in jest. I think I, I think the thing to understand is when you have to understand proportion, right? This gal is mid, very mid-sized proportion. She's not rail thin. She's not obese by any means. And the size you chose is very natural with the caveat of filling in a deflated breast. So I don't see any evidence that she's disproportionate at all, particularly with in light of the fact that you added that fat transfer to the hips. So she looks very hourglass shaped. I think it's a great result. She's got a little bit of rippling in her abdomen, but that's really from the just being early postoperatively. Once that sort of thins out a little bit and gets in, gets settled, that will go away. The scar will fade substantially over time. This looks great. Let me, let me ask you a question there, Dr. Jajirakar. In Dallas, when you're planning on designing the incision, the position of the incision. Tell me how you do that. Great question. And I make a concerted effort to keep the incision as low as possible for about 90% of my patients. We'll actually have a conversation about what are your goals with the incision? Because as you guys know, the incision is a deterrent for many patients that even have a tummy tuck. And so in this particular patient, it was important for her to, for it to be hidden in a bathing suit bottom. And so when I design it, I have a few specific maneuvers that I'll actually use where they're stretching the skin upwards as I'm actually designing the incision to simulate the post-operative pull. And with that, I actually measure the top of the vaginal introitus and I keep, keep the incision three to four centimeters above that. So really low centrally. And then we'll, we'll take it lateral right at the junction of the the thighs and the lower abdomen to so it fits right in the bikini line do you have them bring in a bikini i encourage them all to do it most of them forget because there's so much stuff happening on the day of surgery where they just forget so we'll simulate it or we'll have ask questions about it and i'll try in where i think it's going to be preoperatively and then design it to fall there this is an interesting phenomenon for our listeners here, and I'm sure you guys remember this throughout your career. Early on in practice, when I started working with some older surgeons who maybe have been 20 years my senior, many of those scars come up very high. And that's a testament to what the bathing suit design was in the, the early 80s and 70s. It was a very high-waisted hip. And now what we see around the 90s, 2000s is the position of the bathing suit, the position of the bottom bikini has dropped down a bit. It's almost what they call it like the, the boy pants or boy style, and that has dropped substantially. And so even in, the, in my 12 years of practice, the, the bathing suit styles have changed. And so very rarely we get patients who their scar started out 10 years ago in the right place, and now just based on the bathing suit style has drifted and you can see a little bit of the edge of that. So that's an important discussion for us, for patients. Yeah, absolutely. I really think that's a great result. I love, obviously you saw the pre-op and you saw just the huge rectus diastasis, just that large abdominal laxity. 
and you knew that you were going to get a great result with that just because that was significant preoperatively. But the other stuff that you do really, so anyone can really get that part of it down, most, most surgeons that I know. But actually doing that 360 lipo, what? And I apologize. I apologize to the viewers. We have our own inside jokes. Right. <laughs> a good plastic surgeon or a competent plastic surgeon, should, that's the, the number one priority, obviously, is to address that big deformity. But what I also see that is very important that um, an experienced plastic surgeon, not everyone, not Henry or Steve could do, is that, three, <laughs> that 360 lipo where... <laughs> You're getting that back to get more curve in that love handle, lower um, lumbar area. And then I really love the hip dip. I do a lot of that hip dip BBL work. I wanted to ask you how much volume do you remember? Did you add to those areas? Yeah. I added 250 cc's to each uh, hip dip. And I generally find that my fat take in the hips is not as good as it is for the buttock. Yeah. I generally tell people, I think if we're lucky and everything goes right, about 50% of their fat will take in the hips. And that's a, a rough estimate. And the hip dips sometimes turn out great for me. Sometimes I feel like they look a little undercorrected when I'm done. I've never overcorrected them to my knowledge and had them stay that way. But it, the skin is just very tight in that area. And, I, it, and it and I struggle with that a little bit. I feel the same way with you. I always feel that area so tight, so the volume is hard to retain. I never overcorrect. I always get some improvement, and most patients notice that it's better. But to really, you really have to be. It's a balance between being overly aggressive, but trying to get the result that you really want there. So that's a tough one. But I do a lot of that, and that's always a challenge for me as well. Yeah. That's great. Excellent result, Dr. Jajirakar. Fantastic as usual. Thank you very much. And I think this is a this leads to just a great discussion in general. Mommy makeover, even when we're talking amongst ourselves, we're not exactly sure what procedures we're going to offer a patient. The key if, is to see a good plastic surgeon who really tries to identify what it is that the patient's looking for and then to individualize it. And I had another case, but we're, we'll say that for another day, where it was essentially someone who looked very similar preoperatively and we did something very different to achieve what their goals were. And if you're a patient and you are trying to find a surgeon that uh, can do a mommy makeover for you, make sure they understand what your goals are, what it is you're looking for, and the they individualize the plan and they're really listening to you for what it is you're you're hoping to achieve. For this patient, I've talked before about 3D imaging and how much I like it in my practice. We did 3D imaging of the breast to show what a larger implant would look like relative to what a breast augmentation and a lift with a smaller implant might look like. And we could simulate the scars with that as well. And it was a good discussion overall that helped her go in one direction. That's great. Yeah. yeah. Wonderful, gents. I think we've reached our time here. So once again, signing off from New Jersey, Dallas, and San Diego. Wonderful discussion, gents.